Hi, I'm Elizabeth Laidlaw, and who the fuck are you? Mm, that was a good one. I like that. Nice. I like the way you drop that tone down. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my 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 voiceover sound. <laughs> Settle in as we begin to tell you about some friends, folks you know in Chicago, and some you've never met. We'll talk about the things they say and do. There's a question posed to old and new. Who the fuck are you? Hey gang, this is your host, Kevin Alvis, and welcome back to another episode of Who the Fuck Are You? Hey, 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 got another great interview for you today from an amazing Chicago artist. Um, but before we jump into that, I want to say again, as always... Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. As always, I ask you if you could take that couple of extra seconds to share this with your friends on social media or word of mouth, which is the best way to go. Um, you know, like, share, review, five stars. He's the best. I love this show. All those things, because that gets the word out all across the algorithms and the atmospheres and the stratospheres. It gets our the word out about the show to the masses. So please take a moment and share, rate, review. I love you. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. On today's show, I have an amazing, amazing Chicago talent, uh, actor, director, and now starring and producing in a brand new podcast called Fathom. Please welcome to the show, Miss Elizabeth Laidlaw. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you. Great. I'm glad to hear that. I, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you didn't log on. I'm like this is a fucking shitty ass day. I'm glad <laughs> nope. you're having a great day. No, it's a beautiful day out oh, there. Like, it's a gorgeous day. This is the kind of day where I wish I was still old enough to look at someone and go, "Can we have class outside? Yeah, please. Right? Because I would just want to be working outside. I unfortunately set up my work from home station at a desk. Yeah. So I can't just like take my laptop outside, and it would have been a perfect day for that. Uh, Elizabeth, how have you been? I haven't seen you. I, I don't think I've seen you since, um, I think it was when uh, Girl in the Red Corner. Oh, yeah. Uh, when yeah. Kim was in the show with uh, yeah. that you directed. Yeah. So that's been years. Yeah. How did you handle your pandemic? Uh, how, oh, how did that boy. go for you and these and this reconditioning back into real life? I had, I had, I mean, everybody had a weird pandemic. Nobody didn't have a weird mm -hmm. pandemic. So mm -hmm. in... January of 2020, um, I had directed a staged reading of a show that went really well, and I was talking to a couple of theaters about about you know about directing it for them, um, and it, it kind of went away. I, I've still got it in my files, and I, I think I'm going to try to start sort of following that lead again. But just, theaters are still trying to get on their feet, and it's a it's a fairly big oh, gotcha. cast, and you know what I mean. Like I can see this being kind of not a lot of theaters' choice <laughs> to do. You know what I mean? Just because it's still so complicated. But uh, <clears throat> so I directed that and I was looking to do that. Um, I had uh, auditioned for several pilots and I was in the mix for two of them. Um, one was a series regular. And the wild thing is the series regular character, when I auditioned for it, I had the long, thick, dark brown hair that kind of I was remembered for, you know, with some, a little mm -hmm. bit of gray in it. Um, and, uh, and then between the first callback with the one I was on a pilot for and the, the, the callback that would have taken me out to Los Angeles. I was supposed to go mm -hmm. to Los Angeles to screen test for it. Um, all my hair fell out. 
Oh, wow. Pre-pandemic. Oh, wow. Not all of it, actually, weirdly, just the dark hair. So I, if you've seen a recent, like a more recent headshot of me, I have like very white hair, you know, like it's the... It's the yeah, and, and, and short and short. this great wave. I thought it was gorgeous. Thanks. I loved it. it I was, thought it was, it was uh, the I best thought you were like, just with, like, I'm going to rock this for a while. Yeah, no, it was the best we could do with what I had left. Um, I had a big bald spot in the back. Yeah, it was wild. So was it a, just a, a fluke thing or is that something that's like kind of happened genetically at some point? It was alopecia areata. They tested me for it. I've never had it before. No one in my family has it. It just came out of the clear blue sky. And, oh, wow. you know, I was treated for it and I responded well to treatment and my hair is all completely grown back, as you can see, although it looks is, great. Uh, it is significantly grayer, which may be the alopecia or the pandemic or any number of things. You know, <laughs> so. Any combination. Yes. Yeah. So it was... <laughs> I spent the pandemic, like most people in our profession, wondering, like everybody I knew lost their job. Like mm -hmm. everybody I knew, because most of my, you know, most people I'm close to um, are in film and theater one way or another. So like everybody, all my friends, we all lost our jobs at the same time. It, it made me start to really think about kind of the direction my career was going and the way that I had wanted to start leaning before the, because I also shot mm -hmm. my first short film that I wrote and directed right before the pandemic. And yeah, I, you, you were a very busy person was a for very the longest time, person. just overlooking and seeing what you're doing. As I was getting my research together, I'm like, wow, that's a, we don't have time to talk about all of no. these things. <laughs> and uh, I had done, I had uh, produced and co-directed, uh, with Mia McCullough on a web series. And I was just increasing, you know, and, and while I was, shooting Redline, every opportunity I got to go uh, to shadow, I took. So I was on mm -hmm. the set all the time, even on days when I wasn't shooting my role, my scenes. And it was film school. And so then when I got, I got asked to teach uh, acting and directing classes over at Flashpoint Academy and, or Flashpoint Academy, Flashpoint uh, Chicago, which is uh, Columbia College Hollywood, which is you know, more sadly as, as of that is another casualty of the pandemic. Um, for the first time in my life, I felt uh, competent to teach. You know, I mean, I was teaching very young newbies who really don't, you know, had very little experience. You know, I was teaching directing one. And so right. they, they were coming at it right. completely raw. And <laughs> no matter what you tell them, they're going to believe they're like, right. yes, that's right. You're like, yeah, and, sure. You know, the main Go focus ahead. was just trying to teach them how to tell a story and then to think about some of these visual techniques to do it. And I, you know, so I, I had all that under my belt as of like February. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then as of, and then like in a, a month later, I had no hair. I had no pilot. I had no directing job oh. and I had no idea what I was going to do next. I could only imagine the mental journey you took. That's, uh, that's, that was an interesting it seems like though you've come out on the other side, uh, a stronger, a stronger person. I'm sure it becomes, I'm sure you had to sit down and reevaluate so much of yeah. this. It sounds like that kind of situation where there's nowhere else to go, but up, you know, you hit a bottom and you're like, fuck, I gotta, let's figure this out and come out of it. Cause yeah. now, I mean, look at you, you're back on the way, you're back, you're back on the horse, you know, mm -hmm. on all these projects that you have coming up, which is fantastic, you know? Well, I've got, I mean, my primary project at the moment is, um, is Fathom, is the podcast. Mm -hmm. 
Ooh, which I, I can't wait to talk more about that. Yeah, that's that's I, I enjoy a good narrative, uh, good deep narrative podcast oh. when you can sink into and just really follow week to week and stuff like that. Yeah. I finally understand what my parents talked about growing up about listen to the radio before there was TV. It's like that sounds boring. That is but the, now I live in the world of podcasts and it's the same thing. Only way I could sell it to my parents. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> Remember when you were a kid and you listened to like the radio shows, you know, like remember, because my parents were both born in the late 40s, right? So they like had mm -hmm. radio shows playing when they were kids. I'm like, remember that? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, okay, this is that, but like bigger, you know? Um, Elizabeth, I know you originally don't come from Chicago. You're originally from North Carolina, correct? Uh, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. My father was in uh, grad school. I mean, a lot of my family come, like there's a lot of, there's deep, deep roots in North Carolina. My sister ended up going to school in North Carolina as well. And lived there for uh, a long time in her adult life. Um, but my parents moved to the Chicago area when I was two. So I was born down there. Oh, okay. I spent a lot of time going back down there. Um, but I was raised here, you know, and... Oh, fantastic. Here in the city proper or was out more on the suburbs? My dad, well, my, the first few, like my early, early elementary time, it was completely out in the suburbs. And then um, mm -hmm. my parents split when I was uh, nine. So 1980. So from about 1980 on, I really split my time between the suburbs and the city. And mm -hmm. it became very clear to me that I was, I was a city girl. You know what I mean? Like I just, you're I city girl. Yeah. yeah. I, that there was just no question <laughs> in my mind. Like I would, I was always going to live in Chicago in the city proper. I mean, and it's so strange. I never lived in a, I grew up on the Mississippi Gulf coast mm -hmm. and I lived uh, like in West Virginia. I lived in upstate New York okay. and all these places that weren't like a major city. Yeah. And it's just so surprising to me when I got here, like the huge difference in the, just a, such a different feel in the lifestyle of the city and the lifestyle of a suburb or a little further away. And it's just an, an attractive buzz that just drags you in and you're like, Oh, I've got everything I need here. And I can go to one neighborhood and it's like this and go to another neighborhood. It's like a whole different city mm -hmm. with all new things. And the food's amazing. It's, 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 I love the fact that I was able to be attracted here. What kept you here? Like, as, was it this vibe of the city? Because I mean, you know, as actors, we usually are like are being pushed to New York. We're being yeah. pushed to LA, especially I know because you have such a a film career and that's usually the place you go for that. What kind of, what, <laughs> Did you did you bank on it? Did you see it coming? Like, uh, I think it's going to be a big thing, or just it was home, so you just decided to stay. I I came here because um, I had developed a real well. I mean, I came here because I developed a real aesthetic for the kind of theater that was being made in Chicago, and that was 1993. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Steppenwolf was in a much smaller space. You know, I mean, like like just things were everything was you know Chicago theater was grittier and smaller and. And, mm -hmm. you know, definitely, as we can now look back and see that elements were very problematic, you know, I mean, like, you know, absolutely. I, I still run into actors from that first, you know, vanguard wave who were like, ah, why do you need a fight choreographer? <laughs> it's like, no. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> you because of swords and weapons yeah. and I know people who have been punched in the face. Right. You um, know. But, you know, uh, but there was that great and that just that that can do attitude, which is very much sort of my uh, per, has always been my personality. And there was a lot that was fostered a lot at my school. I went to Illinois Wesleyan and then we were always encouraged to, like, make our own work and make, you know, make happenings mm -hmm. and stuff. And um, yeah. so I came to Chicago because I felt like I could do. I could do that. I could I could I could find a group of like minded artists and make stuff with. And also I could 
um, I, I, the, the, the starve, the completely starving artist lifestyle didn't appeal to me wildly. You know what I meant? And like New York oh, was, no, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. New York and Los Angeles were so expensive. And I thought I can live in Chicago Ugh. pretty comfortably and do what I want to do. You know, I can get a, I can get a mm-hmm. couple of part-time jobs and I can get a, you know, perfectly suitable apartment for somebody like me, you know, it was a single 20 right. something, you know, with a roommate, and... not a single room for $2,000. Exactly. You know, like, you know, I could live and you know, I lo- that kind of thing. Yeah. And I love the city, you know, I love Chicago. So it was, it was just an easy, you know, it was an easy decision. I was at Illinois Wesleyan. It was just down that I'd made connections in Chicago. I'd interned at Remains. Had there. everything you needed. It had the theater and everything that you were looking for. Which yeah, is, the, yeah, it's a smart, I, w- I wish I had that growing up. I, that was something I really wish that I had in the area where I grew up, which is, I think, one reason why it attracted me to the city was is that you can find kind of whatever you want when it comes to the arts and entertainment and theater and things like that. And not only can you go see it, but you can have the opportunity to be a part of it as well, too. Right. You know, it's the only place I've ever lived lived where I went to go see a show and I was like, I'd like to be a part of that one day. Yeah. And then I was, and then you could I was be. able yeah. to, you know, yeah. the thing I, I love about Chicago too, is I run into, especially with this podcast, when I get to talk to people and really see what they do and the experiences that they have. So many people in this community here kind of have their hand on every aspect of everything because you're an actor mm-hmm. you're a director you're a producer uh you founded like you said lake Shear, uh, lakeside shakespeare theater you've worked with the steppenwolf and goodman you directed my wife and girl in the red corner Which for broken nose theater and you're all oh god it's such a great show um and she everybody was so jacked in that show too it's so fun um but it what what for you when growing up kind of really pulled you into this world as far mm-hmm. as like wanting to be a performer was it always kind of in you as far as like where as a child where you're like i want to like show it off for the families coming over or did you find that later i was a later in life person i wasn't like in i was in my 20s when i was like i think i want to give this a shot some people do it when they're five do you remember what was the thing that really like hooked you into performing and the arts yeah i mean i was you know i was a as as and this is i think many actors story but i was a horrendously bullied picked on loner had you know okay bookworm like read books like a maniac um those were my friends you know that's where i hung out after school was in some book um uh-huh and uh and i i loved storytelling and uh i you know i would go out in my backyard and i would just like act out sort of like you know and i i was <laughs> This probably comes as no surprise, but I was talking about this with someone and I said, yeah, I was, I mean, my first princess was Princess Leia, who kind of, Uh, you know, runs governments and leads rebellions and, you know, mm -hmm. knows her way around a blaster and doesn't take shit from anybody, you know, I mean, you know, kind of, and, uh. So when I when I did you know that was seven when I, I was like oh that's a princess that's that that tracks that makes sense to me, mm-hmm. um, and so when I would do these sort of I would sort of act out these fairy tales in my backyard but they were always those kind of like like the old Russian fairy tales where it's always a girl stuck in the woods and she's just got to figure it out she's just like okay oh, yeah all right this sucks and then she kind of runs into some old the Baba Yaga character who's like well you better do all this stuff before dawn or i'm gonna eat you and she's like oh crap okay better figure it out bloody or disemboweled or something in those stories it's so fascinating about those stories is it's it's actually the prince kind of rides in at the end sort of he's sort of lame he's he's kind of a cypher you know like the these girls always save themselves they always save themselves 
So these are these stories. And then that asshole scoops in and he's like, I got it from here, everybody. And you're like, this is bullshit. You know, but I was kind of tuned (laughs) out then. I was like, well, I don't need to know about that part. So um, (laughs) I I loved storytelling and I loved sort of like, you know, and I was growing up in the 70s and the 80s, you know, so like uh, thinking of stories in which women had agency and stuff was... um, a bit rather still rather novel you know what i mean like that still wasn't Mm -hmm. a lot of the pop culture that was being sent my way um you know and uh so that i just i think i always wanted to be i mean it sounds really corny but i always wanted to be a storyteller and that's my favorite part of the job whether it's film or television Mm -hmm. whether it's directing or writing it i just i wanna i just i'm i'm so drawn into stories and of course the older i get the messier the story is the more intrigued Mm -hmm. i am the messier the people are the kind of you know the way i like to direct plays and the way i like to you know the way i like to write stuff and the way i like to direct film is i don't really want to like a beginning and a middle and an end i kind of want you to have this sense that you've opened the door on a life and when Mm -hmm. that door shuts that life goes on you just don't see any more of it you know, like there's right. no... You're just seeing that brief moment yeah. of this life. It's not an ending. It's the end of what you get to see. And that life goes on. And I like a really strong sense that a life goes on after, after the, the, you know, the credits roll. One of my favorite television shows on TV and one of my favorite artists like alive today right now is Pamela Adlin and her show Better Things, which... Oh, oh I'm not familiar. Man, it's on Hulu and it is... Okay. It is mm, so good. Um, And she's, you know, and of course I deeply identify she's playing a working actor in Hollywood, Uh raising three kids as a single person. I, you know, you know, I mean, I I actually have it a lot easier than she does because while, you know, my, uh, my son's dad and I are good friends. We live a mile away from each other and we share the, you know, work and custody Mm -hmm. of raising our son and it's a very mutual arrangement she's got three daughters and their father is useless um (laughs) and uh uh but she a lot of the things she's my age and so we're kind of going through a lot of the same stuff and her character is going through a lot of the same stuff and working out the same issues and today i watched episode two of season five for the first time and there's a there's a moment at the 14 minute mark where she goes on this tear, we're like, I don't know if I want it enough. And that's where I'm getting <sighs> as an actor. She, you know, she had to uh-huh. be in some sort of period piece and she's trying on these corsets and she's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to like, this is not how I want to work anymore. I want to make stuff. I want to get behind the camera, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, right now, I'm still fighting off my. You know, everything I've ever done in my life, I've done because I've decided, well, I'm just going to get good at this and then I'm going to do it. And then for some reason, right. I've I, I for a long time drank the Kool-Aid that uh, uh, an actor, particularly a female actor, you know, mm-hmm. making that tra- transition behind the camera or behind or into the director's chair or, you know, into the for some reason, I was like, oh, you're not you're, you know, even though I focused on directing in undergrad you know what i mean right but, oh okay oh yeah i i i so you weren't even a, you weren't even an actor you were a director i was an actor but i was uh, by my senior by my, or by my junior year i was like no 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 no. i want to direct so i i won okay. I, took, I was taking the directing classes and i won a directing so there's 
three directing slots awarded every year to three seniors. And I got one of them and I directed a show and I was like, oh, now I got the bug. And so when I got to Chicago, <laughs> I like I wanted to get involved with a theater company. Like I wanted to like connect with a theater company so I could kind of work my mm -hmm. way in because my perception at the time was that uh, and I think this whether it's OK, whether it's true or not, I definitely felt this to be true, that in the 90s, it was really hard. There were no women directors except I mean, there was. Barbara Gaines, um, there, there were a couple, there were a few, mm -hmm. but a lot of the directors I was auditioning for were men. And I got the very yeah. strong sense that the way you got in as to do any directing as a woman is became an ensemble member and then kind of like worked your way in and through the yeah. side door. And that was right. my plan. Now that I've been here for a couple of years, I'd like to direct something. Right. And that was know? my plan is yeah. to kind of get connected to an ensemble, which I did. Um, straw mm -hmm. dog and I ended up producing and oh straw dog. yeah I was I, I live right down the street from the old straw dog right theater. Uh, from the from I love that place the, Broadway, the one the one on Broadway or the one on yeah yeah where Hugen Hall was and yeah everything. right yeah. I used to I used to, I did a lot of Hugen Hall stuff mm -hmm. that place was yeah, great I was there when we acquired Hugen Hall um, but I went equity so young that I, I you know so acting kind of became this path of least resistance which is hilarious mm -hmm. to me. <laughs> um, but that was all of a sudden the way I was actually making a living. So I thought, oh, okay, I'll ride this a little bit longer while I'm making a living doing okay. that. And I'll, I'll shelve the directing thing. And then when that got to be too much, that's when I started the theater company. I'm like, I'm going to make my own work. I don't want, I, I want to be in charge. I want people, I want to, I want to be the one deciding what happens. And I think that's a really great place to be. We had a teacher that really preached that because yeah. he always said, you know, as an actor, especially, he's like, it's hard mm -hmm. because the market is kind of flooded. So yeah. if you can't find the work, make the work. Yeah. Get out and do it yourself. Find a show you want to produce. Write a show. Yeah. Do something. Find a way to showcase yourself. And that's how it's going to work. And that's really what Chicago really has to offer. Like, yeah. you can make the work here, you know. So getting into it is really, it's nice. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm I'm really thinking about what I want to do next, and I, I really do think I want to direct more, both on camera, and, and I'd love to do stage as well. I, I know there's a lot of people who are directors who, who don't act and can't act. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, I don't want to fucking act, you know. Mm -hmm. But being able to do both, I think, is great because it gives you the idea of, I think a director who knows how to act can direct actors better, and I think actors who can direct can understand directors better. I think it's just an extra tool in the tool belt. And so I think it's great when you can really pull off both things because I've seen you do both. I've seen, I've seen you, like I said, saw Girl in the Red Corner, which is an amazing show. You did a great job with the directing. Also, you're acting because I... I, I I'm not usually one for TV dramas, but I watched The Red Line. Mm -hmm. I sat down and watched all the episodes, and it was an amazing show because, of course, it was like Chicago, so I was like, I've got to see this. Mm -hmm. But um, it was... Because that, that was bef after... Um, it was before Girl in the Red Corner. Just before, yeah. And that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and my wife, Kim, was like, that's who's directing. I was like, oh, what? And, and it was such a great performance of because you. you had such a I, I feel like you had a really tough character to play in because you're playing the partner of the cop who shot someone and covered it up you know and yeah. you're working together and that's all that's a that's a heavy thing to go through especially living in the city where these types of where these stories are happening and things mm -hmm. and uh to be able to do both of those as well as you do i commend you i think that's that's just shows that you know you you, you, you got the stuff there, kiddo. Well, thank and, uh, you. I appreciate <laughs> you it. I, I, you know, again, I, I love to do it. And just increasingly, like, you know, what I don't love about acting is the auditioning part. 
If I never, oh, I it's mean, terrible. But like, and that's like ninety percent of the fucking job. I know. And it's bullshit. And I've, I, I teach people how to audition, and I try to offer, um, you know, what I've learned and what works, and I, you know, I've, I, I'm good at that, and I'm, I enjoy that, and I enjoy imparting the knowledge, but I don't really want to use it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like just, just give me the fucking job. I don't yeah, want to do it. You see me what I can or do. Don't, or don't. Or don't. It's fine too. I've got everything's going yeah. on. I got other things going on. Like this is a fucking amazing podcast. Let's talk about this because okay. I know you had reached out to talk to me about this because, uh, like I said, I'm a fan of. Uh, I, I hit podcasts several years ago. Uh, I did fall into. I think my first podcast that I fell into was How Did This Get Made? But then I found the world of of this kind of cinematic story world fiction of of podcasts which i really love like i was a fan of a podcast called we are live it was this whole like five season zombie apocalypse and just like the stuff that that i found that people can do while telling a story in these podcast world is amazing um was what pulled you into this world of the podcast were you did you jump on the podcast bandwagon when it kind of came out or did somebody approach you and be like hey i think you might be good for something like this and you that's how you got into it uh Yes. So I listened to Serial, the first season of Serial in particular. I was really like engaged with that. And then I listened to like the Black Tapes, which was another one that totally fell off. Oh, Black Tapes was fantastic. Yeah, yeah the first season of Black Tapes weird. is great. Yeah. Right. Um, then it just got done. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Or, it, or I don't think they meant to. I think they just ran out of steam or I don't know. They just ran out of it. I don't know what happened there. But, you know, so I listened to a bunch of them and I remember thinking it like the narrative ones I enjoyed, but I, I kind of got a little tired of the of the sort of trope that a lot of those early narrative podcasts had. And even so, like, I just listened to a Marvel podcast that had this trope in it, um, where everything's being recorded. Like, and mm-hmm. you're, you're, yeah. you're informed as the audience that you're listening or a, you're, you're participating in some kind of recording. You know what I mean? Right. Like they kind of, or there's at least parts of it that yeah, are it that for like, sure. Cause it's, it's easy, you know, yeah. it's easy to, it's an easy thing to do. It, well, it was this hitch and it was like, it was like people were uncomfortable with the idea that you could just, listen to a story the way you watch a movie like nobody in a movie turns mm-hmm. around i mean except if it's blair witch project right like nobody turns and says <laughs> right. we're taping this you know like that there's this is all fake yeah there's a fourth wall you know what i mean that's that's mm-hmm. that's that that's between you know so why we couldn't sustain that in podcasts i was a little confused by so i was listening to some you know um so anyway the the way that this came about is kind of a crazy very pandemic it's a very pandemic story so I, just before the pandemic, I had been out in Santa Fe. Um, and then shortly after that in Los Angeles, I had friends who were in Santa Fe. She had a, so she had a, a, a mutual, she's a director and a, uh, Kristen Goodman, who's a director and a writer in, in she's based in Santa Fe. Um, she had kind of a mutual Instagram friend, this writer, Jay Barton mm-hmm. Mitchell. Um, and I'd posted some Santa Fe pictures and then some pictures with uh, Kristen and he'd kind of liked them and started following me and I kind of checked out his Instagram. I'm like, oh, how interesting. He's a science fiction writer. That's cool. A speculative fiction. Mm-hmm. Jack will correct me. And so we just kind <laughs> of started like a really kind of like genuine, non-creepy, mutual kind of admiration society. You know what I mean? Like it was just sort of like, oh, right. we have a friend in common. You look like a cool person. And I happened to be in my local library and I looked on the shelf and on the staff pick shelf was his book, Razor. And I was like, well, that's kind of neat. 
So I took a picture and I <laughs> DM'd it to him and I said, hey, you made the staff pick. And he was like, oh, that's so cool. That's awesome. I love seeing my book in libraries. And that started a conversation. So I checked out his book. I read it. I'm like, I love sci-fi. This is great. Razor's a terrific book. And it sets up a mm-hmm. universe in which a major corporation called Moss Dorian has got its fingers all over the galaxy. He kind of established that universe. And then he thought he'd try his hand at doing a narrative podcast. And he wrote a really good first episode of a narrative podcast called Derelict, which is the name. If you look for our podcast, it's called Derelict. Which I found that out looking for your podcast. (laughs) Now this is where it gets a little funky and complicated. And some of our fans are still trying to figure out what we did. But I think we've sorted it out. But... So he recorded a single episode of Derelict. He brought in, and he wanted it to be top quality. He brought in actor, SAG actors from the Santa Fe, Albuquerque area, and also Los Angeles. He like brought them all together. Mm-hmm. He had them record the whole, whole thing, kind of like in a theater. You know what I mean? Like they're all, he had mics okay. set up. Like he wanted to really oh, wow. create kind of this ensemble feel because it was an ensemble. It was a group of sort of uh, people who kind of sort of, a bunch of stragglers who were sent on a highly dangerous black ops mission and they were kind of being sent there because they were sort of expendable you know it was like it wasn't right, it was right. like a, it was it was this or prison for most of them they are being sent out to a derelict ship that is out there and has got something on it that Mostorian wants back and we don't we only there's only one episode that exists of that because obviously it was meant to have multiple episodes so we don't know at the end of that episode they're just they've just made it to that ship and things are getting crazy like we don't even know so he put that out there as a way to raise money to get people to like listen to it and he had a couple of funders and he had people who were interested in like supporting a a full season and it was going to be expensive Mm -hmm. because he had union actors and you have to pay them and you know the sound design was expensive yeah, it's expensive. Um, it's expensive stuff. So he had these people lined up, and he thought he was going to be able to go through with it. And then, boom, the pandemic happened. God damn. Damn you, pandemic! And the pandemic happened, and so all of those people who were going to give him money all of a sudden were like, nope, I'm going to hang on to my money. I think the uh-huh. world's ending. So everybody hold up. Jack and I, because now all of my friendships are taking, on, taking place online, Jack and I became very good friends, like, through this virtual, you know, relationship where we became good friends. We would watch movies together and we would talk about stuff. And so, like, this really cool, you know, intellectually fun friendships kind of came out of this. I love hearing the positive sides of the pandemic. Yeah. Because those things, it's like everything's kind of shitty. But also, I made this friend. I made a friend. And that's always a great thing yeah. to hear. And yeah. a partner. Yeah. And it's, right. Yeah. And so, a, a few months into that, I'd say probably like the mid summer maybe late fall of the of that 2020 when when we were starting to kind of try to figure out what this situation we were in was um he said hey so i'm i'm writing it as i had said to him i listened to derelict and i was like this is so good this is so good and i love that you're not apologizing for the fact or you're not making allowances for the fact that this is being recorded you're just it's just a movie mm-hmm. it's a movie for your ears that's exactly what i want to hear and nobody else is doing mm-hmm. that um, and it's just so interesting. It's, I was so caught up and like, are you going to do more of that? And he's like, well, I want to, but blah, blah, blah. And then. Mo, the but. But the but. There's always that but. And then he said, I'm writing, I'm writing a, I'm writing again. I'm, I'm, I think I'm writing a prequel to Derelict. And it would be like short. It would be like four or five episodes and not like 10 episodes. Like, 
like it's gonna be short <laughs> um but it's kind of a prequel and i want to tell the story of what basically what it is that's on that ship that they're out you know what i mean like i want to tell the pre-story so i think and also i kind of it's a much smaller cast and and it's, uh, these characters are more isolated from each other. i just think it'll be we could do it this way we could do it you know with over zoom you know people being at home and recording yeah stuff. yeah yeah and what he i don't think he was aware i've made him aware of it but at the time i don't think he was aware <laughs> of the fact that he was truly writing because if you listen to derelict for the most of the story these characters are pretty isolated from each other by an unknown threat Right, as he writing his own pandemic. He was story. writing his own pandemic story, and he he. I thought Charlotte was like, well, it's so cool because you're really writing our experience of pandemic. All these people are talking to each other over radio. They can't actually <laughs> see each other. They can't get to each other to help each other. They have to like, ex, you know, they have to explain things to each other because they can't see what they're doing, you know, and they don't, you know, right. Um, and everything is auditory, and and it, they've never seen each other's faces and stuff, and. And I said, yeah, that's cool, because it's like a pan. And he's like, oh, yeah, I guess that's true. And I'm like, oh, come on. You didn't realize. And he was like, oh, no, no, I was thinking about that. <laughs> but it's true. These are, pe- these are all people. Get your like, shit together, yeah, man. No, Think about it for one second. Just, yeah, he was just sort of like, that was what he was sort of writing. He was writing the story of people in isolation, you know, besieged by a threat they couldn't understand or, or contain or, or, you know, they were just mm-hmm. trying to stay alive, which is what we're doing you know and um they slowly kind of they 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 all you know they come together in little pockets and then they get pulled apart from each other again and and when they do get together in groups things get worse and you know i mean he's he's really writing it (laughs) that's usually what happens um you know so but it takes place in the in the other utterly inhospitable terrain you know is the bottom of the ocean so I know, I know, I just looking this up, you said that it was going to be like, you said like four or five episodes. Yeah. You're in episode eight yeah. now, I saw, <laughs> uh, which is obviously a much bigger story. Right. But there's only the one episode of Derelict, right. correct? So far. So, and then there's this Fathom that's now the prequel. But it's really, it's Fathom's now chapter one, really. Fathom is chapter one. And then it really, we've stopped calling it the prequel. It's just chapter one. And it's meant to be a trilogy. So Fathom is chapter one. Derelict mm-hmm. will be the the middle chapter. Um, okay. And about the derelict ship. And then, I mean, hopefully if we get enough listeners and enough followers and enough angels to support our efforts, you know, those of you who are interested and who listen, we do have a Patreon base and like every tiny little bit helps. The, our Patreon base. so fantastic for projects. Yeah, right? We yeah, gotta, having that is so wonderful. It is. It's just, it's an amazing thing. And we, we got a, a, a little bit of uh, like some startup cash from an angel investor who had listened to the first three episodes of Fathom and got really invested in it and was like, okay, and he, <laughs> he contacted us privately. He's anonymous. He doesn't want to, you know, like he wanted to be an angel investor. And he was like, I need you to finish this story because I need, need to hear the end. Um, what? But what I, an amazing endorsement that this stranger was like, I love your shit so much yeah. that I'm going to give you the money to finish the story just so I can finish enjoying your story. Right. And I think to me, like, that's alone 
one of the uh, a huge huge triumph you yeah. know in in the entertainment world is when one person's like i gotta have more so much right. i will fund you you know that's amazing that's it that's was. really cool that's really cool. it was and, and shortly before that jack you know i had i had just done because i'm so used to like organizing things because of running the theater company and just like oh you need mm-hmm. an actor i can find an actor you know what i mean like oh, shit i got mm-hmm. i know actors you know um, you need this. Oh, I can find a studio. I can find this. I can find that. Oh, you I can spend that. enough time working in Chicago. Yeah. You can produce anything because you know everybody and all the places to go. And you could be like, I got 15 people yeah. for you right now. I can do it all for you right now. Exactly. You know? And so Jack was like, he was like, do you want to like be a producer? Like, do you want to be one of the producers? You know, do you want, you know, so <laughs> I was like, well, yeah. And so I was like, that's all I want to do, man. And he's like, well, you still have to, you're still my lead. You have to stay as Eva. I'm not killing you off. I'm like, all right, fine. But, um, uh, all right. Uh, so, you know, it, it, then, then right before that, Angel, he's like, hey, I think we have an investor. I'm like, great. I'll put together a budget. Send me some numbers. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I'm going to put together like a, a deck and, you know, all of this stuff to, you know, um, See, you're the you're the unicorn of DIY projects because you're like I I know how to do all of this stuff. I'm willing to, and I kind of yeah. like to, so yeah. I'll do all that stuff. Because most people are like, I want to be the artistic side. I don't want to do all that other no, stuff. I, like, I don't want to do the budget. I like. I mean, you know, my my boyfriend makes fun of me the way I like load a dishwasher. So I mean, you know, you can like that's definitely <laughs> like. Listen, there's a there's a right way to do this. <laughs> Um, so it, it grew from eight to 10. Well, okay. So the original plan, like what we budgeted for and what we, we went to this angel, like our budget was kind of laid out. It's like probably eight episodes, maybe nine. But at that time that was like around episode three, Jack was thinking, okay, it's eight episodes. And you know, he's Mm -hmm. the writer and, and he's directed the, you know, he's really like the, the, the mastermind behind all of this. So, and I, I do, you know, he sends me the scripts in advance and I give him some notes, but I, I don't usually have too many. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I give him the notes and, um, he's like, okay, okay. So, so I think it's going to be nine episodes. I'm like, Jack, I, th- I think we can get it in May. <laughs> uh, you know, cause every episode takes money and the cast kept getting bigger and bigger. I'm like, Jack, we're going to run out of money. <laughs> he's like, don't worry, don't worry. It's a horror podcast. We're going to lose people. It's, there's going to be an attrition, you know, the people. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's going to die. It'll be fine. <laughs> And everything sounds like it's going swimmingly because I so so you have your you have Fathom mm-hmm. uh, and then you're going to move on to Derelict and then there'll be a final chapter yeah, to this trilogy of chapter, story. Yes. Um, Where can we find this podcast? Where can we find Fathom find, right now? Uh, you, well, actually, it is currently called the name of the podcast is still Derelict. That's what we set it up for, and that's okay. he had gotten a, a fairly sizable fan base for Derelict. So we decided not to change the name of the podcast. Um, so, so we can find it's under derelict, but the the it's the first chapter is fathom. Anywhere you can find podcast, uh, podcasts. I'm assuming it's app. on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's it's anywhere people get their podcasts. You can get it there. So, if people want to learn more about the project itself and things like that, is there a website? There and is. where is your Patreon? All that good stuff. Fathom social media. Yes, we have uh, fathompodcast.net. Mm-hmm. is 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 sort of the one I'm directing to people to now because that focuses on the Fathom story. There is also a derelictpodcast.com which has a trailer for Derelict on it and it's they, they both they both go to Night Rocket Productions which is which is me and Jack. So like all that information okay, goes great. to us there. Night Rocket. What a great yeah, name. Um, That's a great name. And uh, yeah, Jack came up with it and I I've, I've you know, I I mean the first time I heard it I'm like 
I'm not going to make the joke. He's like, it's okay. It's been made. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, uh, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. Um, but yeah, it's so, uh, fathompodcast.net or, um, derelictpodcast.com and then on social media where it's derelict everywhere it's derelict podcast on instagram uh derelict podcast on twitter yeah so those are all the places you can find us you know and if people were interested in finding you and following more about you and your your projects you have coming up as far as directing and acting do you social media website i'm kind of i'm mostly an instagram user these days uh but i'm on Mm -hmm. uh i'm on instagram as elizabeth laidlaw i'm on facebook i have a public page on on facebook you know like a a professional page on facebook that's elizabeth Laidlaw, which i'm not as good as keeping up with um and i'm on twitter as because elizabeth laidlaw doesn't fit i'm on twitter as ms laidlaw m-z-l-a-y-l-a-w and Love that it. is a nickname that Alexandra Billings uh, pretty much gave me uh, back in the day when we were doing Xena Live together. She called me Layla. So um, <laughs> I, I made my handle Ms. Layla. Um, there you go. And uh, and I, I have a website. It's ElizabethLaidlaw.com. So that's pretty easy, too. Elizabeth, we've reached the second half of the show. Okay. It's my favorite part of the show. Okay. It's called Same Three Questions. Same Three Questions. Oh, boy. Okay. And these are the exact same three questions I ask all my guests. Uh, These are new same three questions. This is season two same three questions. So here we go. Question number one. If you could transform into any animal, which would it be and why? Uh, I mean, I think it would probably be pretty great to be a, a house dog in America. You know, like I wouldn't want to be a dog just anywhere. There are places in which I think no. it's really rough to be a dog. But I Absolutely. think like, I mean, I, we've got, you know, my uh, boyfriend and I have, each have a dog. We came into the relationship with dogs and now the dogs are pretty much mm. siblings. And, um, oh, they, that's so Yeah, sweet. fortunately. It really um, is. I love it. Yeah. And uh, they've got it pretty good, but they always act like they don't. So maybe that's not great. Um you know, you well, know, that's how you get it better because you act like you don't. Yeah, and then the dog parents yeah, like, "Oh, like, buddy, you're sad. Let me make you happier." Exactly. So that seems like a pretty plush life. But then you know, obviously, it would be cool to be a wolf. I think it would be hard. Oh yeah. But it would be cool oh, to yeah. be a wolf. I feel like that should be my answer. But the older I get, the more I'm like, eh, I don't have to be a wolf. I could just be a nice German shepherd. I think also it sounds like it'd be pretty cool to be a crow. They're they're smart, right? Mm-hmm. Like they have they want to know more. Yeah, they want to know more, and they can fly. So maybe a crow. I think a crow. Uh, all right. And they're not particularly endangered. If, they're pretty tough. What if you were a, a hybrid dog and crow, like a dog crow or a, a drog or Ooh, a crow a, a cog? A drog. A drog. A crog. Yeah, a fl- a flying dog that likes shiny things. Mm. uh so uh dog and crow a drog Mm -hmm. i love it we also just made up a new animal so uh i will i will officially say you are correct you've got that answer right okay cool uh (laughs) question number two what's the one language that you don't speak that you wish you could fancifully um i'd love to be able to like walk into a party and say oh yeah i speak bosque (laughs) <laughs> Basque? What is that? I don't, I'm not even familiar. Basque is the language of Catalan, of, of the sort of the, 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 
the separatist state in Spain that kind of bridges, you know, the, the mountains in Spain. And it's 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 its own okay. like, Basque region. It's politically it's complicated, like it's been sort of trying to it's not really Spanish. It's not a Spanish culture. Mm. Basque is not a Spanish. It's not Spanish. It's not even derivative of Spanish. It's a completely distinct language and like it's a distinct culture. what about the language makes you want to to be involved to be able to speak it like does it is it just the really the sounds it makes or is it just more about the idea yeah, of like the this is an obscure is cool really language interesting it's like a very different language than than you hear in in that part of the, you know it's not a romance language i mean i think it has connections it's its own thing it's kind of its own separate language it's, it's a dying language it's only spoken in this part of the world oh wow um, okay. And I think that would be very cool, but it, I don't know how useful that would be. Um, I'm, uh, I'm <laughs> descended uh, from. Uh, I have I have uh, Seminole ancestors, and it would be it would make my heart feel really good to speak Seminole, um, mm-hmm. and that that too is sort of a dying language, and and you know like like a lot of Native American languages, they're there's you know it's. It, they're struggling to keep them alive. I mean, people, Absolutely. a lot of yeah, people yeah. who are native people who grew up on reservations and I didn't are trying to like learn the languages again. And that's fantastic. And it's, it's an, it's a very emergent situation because the, the native speakers mm-hmm. of those languages are dying off. So that would be cool to speak either of those languages. I think those are, t- I, I, I think so far th- those are the two most unique answers I've had for that question. Uh, so I will say, uh, because they're both so unique, you also got that correct. Great. So two for two. Okay. Nice work. Uh, finally, last question. Hey, Elizabeth, ham or turkey? I'm leaning towards turkey. Mm. I think my, was that, so did sorry. I get that one wrong? So sorry. The answer was ham. <laughs> the answer's ham. <laughs> answer's ham. <laughs> Ooh, so close, so oh, close. So I was going to give you a thousand dollars for getting all three, but you were just so close. I, too it was bad, a tough too bad. Choice. It was a tough one. It was a tough <laughs> one. <laughs> the old one used to be: is it uh, blue or green? And it was always it's all the third answer is always going to be right, the wrong answer, right. just because it's fun for me. <laughs> um, Elizabeth, thank you so much. Everybody, go check out Fathom. Uh, and, a and derelict at the podcast is called Derelict. That's the pa- pa- not not Fathom. If you look for Fathom, you won't find us. <laughs> Um, I could definitely see how that's confusing, but yeah. honestly, right, go find it. Go find Derelict, listen to Fathom, wait for the rest of Derelict, and then whatever the trilogy's third closer out's going to be, yeah. uh, I don't even want to know yet. But when that happens, you'll come back and we'll talk about that. Yep. Um, Elizabeth, thank you so much. I do. I appreciate you sitting down. It was so much fun to get to say, actually sit and talk with you for a change. Usually when I see you, it's in a, a large crowd of drinking people. But exactly. Exactly. But we don't do large crowds of drinking people these days, do we? No, small crowds of Zooming drinking people, yeah, that's all. Exactly. However, how many people we can get on Zoom and then whatever you got in your house, that's all. <laughs> um, thank you so much. I really do appreciate thank everything. Thank you so much for having me on. This, I love that you guys are doing this. It's very cool. Holy shit, she is a fucking delight. Uh, please go check out Fathom. Go find them wherever you can find podcasts. You can also go to their website, derelictpodcast.com. Check them all out. Oh my God, it's going to be so fucking cool. Uh, also be sure to follow Elizabeth on social media and also the podcast Fathom itself. Um, go, follow, have fun, enjoy! Well, that about does it for this show. As always, I'd like to give a big thank you to my dear friend, Mr. Jason Moody, for that kick-ass theme song, and my dear friend, Miss Corbett Pasco for that three-question stinger. 
Be sure to rate and review the show and join us next time as we sit down with a new guest and we ask them that burning question. Who the fuck are you? Blah, blah, blah. Big talk.